0: Welcome to the Doxology and Theology Podcast, presented by the Institute for Biblical Worship at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. That's right, I said the Doxology and Theology Podcast, a podcast for worship leaders who know that the gospel is so good it has to be sung. I'm your host, Matthew Westerholm, Associate Professor of Church Music and Worship at Southern Seminary and the Executive Director of the Institute for Biblical Worship. On today's episode, we are dipping into our worship resources to bring you an interview with Pastor Mark Dever. Dr. Dever serves as the senior pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. He is the author of Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, Discipling, the Compelling Community, and more. He is the president of Nine Marks Ministries. In this interview, Pastor Mark Dever speaks with our good friend and founder of Doxology and Theology Ministries, Dr. Matt Boswell.
1: Well, I want to welcome you to this breakout session uh, with Mark Dever. As we think oh, about. I feel really show, welcome, Matt. You are most welcome. Thanks, buddy. As we think about. Um, Uh, the role of a senior pastor in corporate worship. And um, Mark, I'm grateful for you. Uh, You are always one of the loudest voices uh, in my head. Oh, thanks, man. As I think through things. Excellent. Um, I don't know if you'll remember this. The first time we met in person, you uh, you were here in Dallas, and uh, I was doing music at a conference. You were speaking at it. We met at a mall. At a mall. That's right. At a food court. That's right. And then I feel like later that evening, you had been to the Dallas Theological Seminary bookstore that day. Yeah. And yeah. you had a copy of um, the Pillar New Testament commentary uh, of Hebrews. Yeah, by Peter O'Brien. By O'Brien. And you asked me, you said, Matt, do you read books? And I said, I, I do. And you said, well, I'd like to give you this one. Oh, And, that was and you, you inscribed in there. And so I still have that in my library. That's great. Uh, before that I'd been really influenced by um, uh, in my place Condemned He stood
2: yeah excellent three great Packer articles
1: yeah and a couple of other articles in there that yeah, could be yeah and so um, I, I'm grateful for uh, the way the Lord's used you in the life of of even our church our local church so thank you Thanks for um, And one of the background things... oh thank you it was an upgrade okay I've just got the <laughs> old books here you know expensive wallpaper. (laughs) Well, um, when it comes to corporate worship, it's some, this is something that you've been thinking about a long time. And so I wonder when you became pastor, uh, at Capitol Hill Baptist church in Washington, DC, what shaping voices, what pastoral convictions or thoughts did you have already when you became pastor, uh, at this church?
2: Oh, I think all of them that I you know, currently possess. I mean, it's Scripture, uh, kind of Reformed tradition, um, having been brought up in um, a Southern Baptist church.
1: Ooh, being a big fan of Cranmer. Um, okay. Can we pause right there? So, sure. uh, right I mean, even right there are so many different things. So, Scripture, yeah. Um, yeah. what did you already believe Scripture spoke about the gathering, about its purpose and nature?
2: It was to be it was to be every week it was to be the first day of the week it was to be in the morning of the first day of the week and christians had uninterruptedly obeyed that until really recently um it was to include preaching and praying and giving and singing baptism of the lord's supper The uh, idea of performed music, to me, seemed questionable biblically uh, as far as anything prescribed. Maybe it would be allowed in freedom, but it did not seem to be something that we were commanded to do. And, you know, Ephesians and Colossians seem to be talking about the congregation singing. So to me, the priority seemed to be the word preached and the congregation singing as a kind of preparation for and response to the word preached.
1: So you had these biblical convictions that were already yeah. formed and was were those solidified for you in seminary, uh, or even, even earlier than that?
2: You know, I started the church when I was in seminary and the service style was pretty similar to what we have here. So I must've already been thinking through this stuff. Expositional preaching, okay. longer sermons. Yeah. So that must've pretty basic things, but I think it was already in place somehow.
1: Okay. And you mentioned the reform tradition so in in what ways um was both church history and then through the reformed puritan tradition in what ways did those help shape your own convictions or crystallize for you what you would come to believe about corporate worship
2: well i think i'd read a good bit uh i read horton Davies, davies worship of the american puritans um i had just read more generally in puritans and on puritanism I was familiar with the Westminster directory of public worship. Um, yeah. So the, the things that I mentioned just a moment ago seemed like fairly uniformly accepted
1: canons of what Christians do when we assemble. So, so Horton Davies, um, you read his worship with the American Puritans, um, did you come across a book by Christopher Smith also called The Gathering? He was at Bristol Baptist for a while. I can't recall what year he wrote that. What Horton Davies know, you did Shoot me for, that in an what, email.
2: I, I'd love to look it up.
1: Well, what Horton Davies did for me is is help form uh, the roots. I, I think specifically getting… Well, he had as
2: much larger, what, three volumes of worship of the
1: English Puritans. Uh-huh that uh, I'd certainly also looked at. But the American Puritans is particularly interesting to me just given American history. The English Puritans is the volumes I was most referencing. I did yeah. I did work through the American, uh, the American Puritans too. It's but, much
2: smaller yeah. and it's kind of derivative. It's based on worship of the English Puritans, obviously.
1: I think that gave for me specifically the more nonconformist and even into Baptistic worship that you get, it, it introduced me to a history that I was needing. Mm-hmm. I was needing to help connect Baptistic worship practices to yeah. to some tradition so it didn't feel disconnected. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was very thankful for that. Now you mentioned Thomas Cranmer. Yeah. So as a Baptist, you're influenced by Thomas Cranmer How?
2: Well, we need to understand how important Baptist isn't. So Baptist is important for visible church being clear getting rid of the detailed error of infant baptism, making the real clear, the believer community. But other than that, we're pretty much congregational Anglicans. I mean, we just, Anglicanism is just the, the way the Reformation sounds in the English language. And so Cranmer is just going to be my dude, unless I have some reason to biblically reform him because I speak English and his stuff is really good. So whether I'm confessing sin or leading the Lord's Supper or at a graveside or taking elder vows, I'm just going to kind of default. Or wedding. I mean, I'm just going to default to Cranmer's language
1: unless I have some kind of reason biblically to try to change him. Do you open up weddings with his uh, with his wedding ceremony?
2: Oh, uh, I use a mix of things. Actually, I also uh, use a bit of uh, of uh,
1: Calvin from Geneva on weddings. Okay. Yeah. that would take us off topic but i'm just interested yeah. to know that yeah yeah so from the time that that you became pastor there how how have you seen uh or has there been any has there been any change in the gathering together of god's people over these 25 years
2: well there's a large change from before i was the pastor to after i was the pastor and once i became the pastor the largest change was the slow growth of the service from a more one hour and 15 minute service to a two hour service and then there's the whole separate thing the uh prayer meeting on sunday night um so in that morning in the main morning service the sermon grew from 30 minutes to 60 and the earlier part of the service grew from about 40 minutes to about 60. uh and the but if you if you get a bulletin from 1999 or 2001 it's gonna look it could be a bulletin from last week i mean it's gonna be the same as here okay uh as now rather now when i got here in 94 it was very different i attended here i asked if i could have the privilege of just attending here for a few months before i did anything so i could kind of learn their idiom and then i could just begin without being unnecessarily disruptive and just step in and do what they were doing but just try to, do, in my mind, pick the better of the hymns that was in their canon that they sang, as it were. And, you know, I take their forms and then have them with good substance and then slowly but surely morph the forms, which didn't have to be morphed that much, but morph them to what I felt would be a little bit, uh, healthier catechesis.
1: Okay. What things did you add there to, to lengthen that time? You mentioned, um,
2: Distinct the- prayers of praise, uh, prayer of confession uh the pastoral prayer became a little bit longer um and then there were uh, already more hymns so instead of go ahead
1: they were already doing a pastoral prayer
2: yeah yeah there was there was usually yeah pastoral prayer of intercession you know right usually right before after the offertory right on there yeah um and then so i lengthened the number of, of hymns from you know two or three or four to six or seven. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, six or seven, uh, and then with three for pre- what I call preparation music in the fifteen minutes while people are coming in from ten thirty to ten forty-five, um, and then uh, scripture readings. There weren't there weren't usually distinct scripture readings. And then i got rid of all the special music all the performed music all the solos duos trios matt boswell's in town and singing on the piano not during our service he's not not unless we're all singing with him <laughs> um and then uh adding in use of uh t- reading together the ten commandments or the lord's prayer or the apostles creed or any number of other affirmations of faith
1: Okay, a couple of questions there. How often? Let's so all start right there. How often do you see? Do you recite creeds uh, or longer passage of scripture like the Lord's Prayer? Would that be a regular occurrence?
2: It would be a regular occurrence. I I I'm a little reluctant to show how exactly how I'm built psychologically, but I I do have a rotation of about sixteen or eighteen different things that we do in unerring order, time out of mind, that we have done since. Probably January of '95, and we continue on unbroken. Okay. And we, we'll just we just go right through Apostles' Creed, 19325, 19381, Chalcinon. Uh There's there's one week in which we do nothing, just to show you don't have to do anything like that. Um, and then just keeps rolling right on through to modern things, looking at statement on Christology, T4G affirmation denial statements, article well, from our own statement of faith.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I've started using um, articles from our confession of faith in the yeah, I think it's very helpful. Yeah. You mentioned uh, preparatory music, and yeah. so and you added so many hymns. You went from four to six or seven. You said, "Yeah." On a Sunday, what was the value for? Well, on
2: Sunday evening, we've got six more that we sing normally, and two more on top of that if we have the Lord's Supper.
1: What drove that decision to add so much more singing? Most most senior pastors are trying to cut songs. You doubled them.
2: I don't think people are gonna remember much of what I've said when they're on their deathbeds, but I think they'll remember hymns. Um, I think the the words associated with music seem to be something the Lord has made our brains to latch onto the music kind of glues it in. So if, if I wanna help our congregation uh, find God's promises luscious, music seems to be a
1: necessary element of mm, that. that's wonderful well would you would you walk through us um h- how that process works so what is your role as a senior pastor really i guess before we even talk about practically but philosophically convictionally what is your responsibility um over the singing
2: uh everything that happens in the morning service is part of the public teaching of the church therefore the elders are in charge of it And among the elders that's my particular role as the senior pastor
1: okay so ultimately what the church sings you hold yourself responsible for
2: including any announcements any prayers any readings yeah
1: everything okay um what does song selection look like at chbc do you mean what songs do we
2: select or how do they get selected
1: well sunday's you know sunday's coming and yep. uh, there's going to be six, seven hymns sung. So, does this is begin.
2: It begins in me knowing that we need a new one of these sermon cards. Four months of sermons coming up. So, I got to come up with this. Well, in order to do that, I've got to do this, which has all the sermon titles, the preachers, uh, the texts. theological and anthropological emphases and then the answering evening texts and preachers um and then i will develop services for each morning and evening uh based on a word doc where i have a kind of template document and i go in and put that for each sunday in the four month period and then i adjust it with particulars of scripture readings and hymns
1: okay and um the hymns that you choose uh, i've sat in a meeting that y'all were having maybe on a tuesday morning in your office Tuesday afternoon at 2 30. tuesday afternoon at 2 30. at that point are all the hymns for sunday chosen
2: well in my great wisdom i have picked them all now the staff sometimes begs to differ and we give special deference to whoever the service leader is and whoever the preacher is if they particularly want to in their mind improve my suggestions okay
1: so we'll pull out some of the ones that I may have suggested, and we'll edit the thing and stick in some other ones. And and um, and you'll sing through those songs right there. We will sing usually first and last stanza of first each song, stanza. just okay. to make sure we've got the feel for it right. It feels good as a set, yeah. Um, how often do you go into the stairwell and sing together? Uh huh. Um,
2: I just uh, um, occasionally when it seems like a good day to do it. Okay. Where harmonies just flow. Oh, we love the harmonies. Yeah. Listen, don't go acapella on the unison songs. It's just a waste. People will feel the acapella here and they'll think, oh, that's so special. We just need to do acapella and they'll do it on a unison song. And I'm going, oh, you're wasting it man."
1: It needs to be on a song with parts. Anyway. Okay. So before I ask you this question, I'll tell you a story. You may know this already. Uh, when Spurgeon is a young teenager, uh, he becomes convicted. Yeah, that's right. Uh, he becomes convicted that the final line of each stanza ought to be repeated. Mm. You know this? No, but I like it. And so literally at Grandpa Spurgeon's church, um, he he operates in his conviction. And so that, that fourth stanza, everybody sings, and then he sings a solo every time on his own. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. And uh, afterwards, you know, he gets scolded and he goes, this is this is what I'm meant to do, this is, yeah, this is, this is convictional. Um, and so, but you also have a, you have a fourth stanza value. Well,
2: well, here's the thing.
1: We, uh, we try to
2: sing melody unison on the first stanza. So any new people get to be brought into holy, 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 or praise the Lord, the almighty, or he's done so much for me or whatever we're singing, precious Lord, and then we'll go into parts and the second stanza. And then, if there are good parts, if there are good parts, uh, we'll go acapella on the last stanza. And, I, and I'm usually um, trying to advocate for more than just the last stanza, but I'm, I'm satisfied with just the last stanza. Musicians always say, but it will drag, and I'll always say, listen, I don't care if it drags. You know, it's if it's slowing down, they're meditating on it. That's awesome.
1: Do you have pastoral? advice to people, to pastors, even who, who may say, okay, Mark, I'm, I'm not musical. I don't have as strong of convictions on choosing hymns as you do. And so we have a music director that does that. What advice would you have to that pastor to stay involved in, in the music of the church,
2: get rid of your music director and find one who's a pastor that is whose quality to be an elder recognized as an elder by your church and let him help you out with the music.
1: Okay. So you're saying it's okay to delegate that you don't have to hold, hold the reins for everything yourself. That's sure.
2: Yeah, it's an elder task. It doesn't have to be you. But if you're the senior pastor, if you're the lead teacher, you're the one who's normally preaching, I would want to at least be informed and work with the brother who's taking the lead in that. Yeah. to try to give unity to the the meeting and the
1: teaching. I think I'll know what you'll say to this, but as you look back on your tenure at CHBC, are are there certain services that stand out to you in your memory or is it... Uh, the regular meeting together of God's people that that comes to the foremost of your thoughts.
2: No, the basic answer, no, it's the regular meeting of God's people. It's just, it's every week. It's just, it's glorious. Yeah, yeah, by God's
1: grace. Um, and plus, I mean, even thinking about that, coming out of this this season that the church has been in, and many still in, um, how much. I've even come to cherish the gathering of God's people more than ever.
2: Well, right now, we're meeting our buildings on Sunday evenings with 250 people and masks on. And it sounds so good to sing inside uh, with the residents, you know, as opposed to five or 600 of us out in the field that I can't
1: wait till we're back packing out of that building again with the masks <laughs> off. Oh, my <laughs> goodness, it's going to be good. Um, a couple more questions. When you think about singing, are there hymns that have been most meaningful to you over the years?
2: Oh, there are many. Uh, I love praise the Lord, the almighty. I love the sands of time are sinking. Um, I love uh, a lot of African-American songs we've begun seeing the last 10, 15 years. Uh, they they just get to suck on the truth. Mm. Uh, I I love them. You know, I mentioned to precious Lord. He's done so much for me. Mm. Um. Uh, it Is Well, our congregation just loves it when we sing it as Well, especially that third stanza, uh, My Sin's Not In Part But The Whole. Mm. Um, yeah, I could just go on and on, just many, many very loved hymns. Hark, I Hear the Harp's Eternal, we love that one.
1: Um, I, I can't remember the literary form of what that does in the third verse of it as well, but, you know, um, uh, My Sin, and then the comma, Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My the Sin, comma. Not In Part But
2: The Whole, yeah.
1: There, there's something, um, Matt Papa and I've talked about that many times that there's something profound. It's almost as if it says, this is where we're going to go, but wait, you've got to really see the gl- the gravity mm-hmm. of this mm-hmm. and yeah. then presenting it again. That's yeah. it's just brilliant. I agree. Yeah. Um, what advice would you have, uh, just in closing, uh, to those that have been, um, commissioned to lead congregational singing each week. What what advice would you have uh, to those? Hold up, let me get another book. Yeah. Is this Leon Morris,
2: The Atonement? No, but I do like that. Get to know hymnals well. Collect them. I have a whole bookcase full of them. Uh, be reading through them. Get to know new hymns. Always be introducing new hymns. By, by always, I mean, you know, only introduce one new hymn at a time and do that for three, three or four weeks in a row let the congregation learn it. But, um, I would encourage you to get a copy of Reformation of worship, uh, Reformation worship, rather, uh, liturgies from the past for the present. Um, because Jonathan Gibson and company who edited this volume, I think if you take the time to read through this, you'll realize that the Reformation really was mainly just changing around the church service on Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. That was the Reformation. And so you better understand how important that time is because you are teaching your people more
1: than you may mean to be teaching them. Mm. You need to realize what you're teaching them. That's wonderful. Yeah, that, but in Sinclair's uh, chapter at the very front of that book is worth, I mean, it's an expensive book, it's worth every penny. Oh, the, the first three chapters are oh, amazing. Incredible. Worship
2: on earth as it is in heaven, solely day of glory, the Reformation of worship, and worshiping in the tradition principles from the past for the present. I mean, they're
1: just. Wonderful. So, learning from church history, the importance yeah. of why we worship. I asked you that question. You oh, know, maybe Matt, 10 years Matt, ago. Matt,
2: Matt Merker's got a new good little one out called Corporate Worship. It's really good.
1: It's very good. Yeah. It is very good. Yeah. I would commend that to everyone as well. Yeah. I asked you 10 years yeah. ago if you could talk to um, to music directors at churches and recommend a book, what would it be? Leon Morris' is The Atonement.
2: That's so good.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think i went out and bought it that night good did you read it i've read half of it
2: uh well i've got good news the
1: other half is really good my reading load about that time got very strong and unfortunately it has not it has not lessened it just keeps getting bigger and bigger
2: well the other half is just getting
1: better and better but this week i did go to in my place uh condemned he stood to think even in prep in preparing for uh preaching on on the crucifixion of christ this sunday so
2: wonderful wonderful
1: well mark thank you so much for taking time to come thank and you. talk to this doxology and theology crowd I'm so grateful for brother. Love you, brother good to be with you man right. see you
0: That is a hard place to stop, but if you'd like to hear more, go to our website, biblicalworship.com. Click podcast. We're happy to share with you the entire thing for free. While you're at our website, you can find information concerning other worship resources from the Institute for Biblical Worship and the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. That's biblicalworship.com. That's what we have for you this time on the Doxology and Theology podcast. Our show is produced by the lanky Evan Jarms, engineered by Caleb Sherwood, and the music is by our good friend Joel Negus. Until next time, this is Dr. Matthew Westerholm reminding you that the gospel is so good, it has to be sung. Peace be with you.